We are in a series called Serpent Crushers. And there's nothing more powerful to crush the head of a serpent than praying effectually. The Bible says the effectual prayer of the righteous availeth much. If there's an effectual way to pray, there's an ineffectual way to pray. Right? So we need to find the effectual way to pray to avail much. And listen, honestly, it will cut the head clear off the serpent. I'm not in just crashing it and stepping on it. I want to cut the head off. Okay? So today, like continuation from last week, it doesn't matter if you were here last week or not. You could still be able to flow with it. But I am going to say I am not a natural preacher. Okay? My natural gifting is to teach. So, so and when I try to explain things to you, it's going to be a good idea because I'm going to try to break it down. You might want to get out your pen, your paper, your notepad. There's a little card in the back of your seat, something so you can take notes. I'll even let you know, hey, you probably should write this down. But it's going to be interactive to help us out a little bit so that we can get and understand the fullness of what God has for us today. Amen? So, Father God, we come to you this morning with eager expectation, Lord God, to get closer to you, to understand your word, to grow in strength and power and might, to utilize the tools that you have given us. We pray, Lord God, right now, Lord God, that you give us ears to hear, the heart to want to execute, and the mind to understand. We pray, Lord God, right now that you're just, let it be all of you and none of me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' precious and mighty name, amen. Okay, we're going to turn to Matthew 6. Last, last week we did Luke 11 for the Lord's Prayer. We're going to switch it up a little bit and go to Matthew 6. The Lord's Prayer doesn't change. I'm just switching it up anyway. Okay. Verses 7 through 13. If you have it, say amen. If you have it, say I got it. There we go. We're going to use the word, all right? We've got to use it. We can't just listen to it. All right. It says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. In this manner, therefore, pray, our father, <clears throat> hallowed be your name, your kingdom, sorry, I'll skip the word, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The way I think, I ask myself a lot of questions, and, I, and I, it's, it's kind of weird, all right? But I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I, I can't even really articulate the question well, but you'll help me out. It says, uh, what was Jesus's big act of love rooted in. What I mean by that like, is like, you can love, and there's a lot of different ways to love. Matter of fact, there's a book called Five Love Languages on how we receive love and how you can give love. There's loads of different ways to love. So each way you give love or do love is rooted in something to receive, to achieve something. So what was the purpose of Jesus's action? What was his love root? Um, why did he do what he did for us? Like, we could say he sacrificed. We know that. That was, a, that was the action of what he did. He died on a cross. Salvation was the result of what we received because of what he did. But what was the root of his love act? What did he desire for that act that he did? And it came to me that his act of love 
was forgiveness. Everything he did, his act of love was for forgiveness. For our forgiveness, he carried our sins as his own. For our forgiveness, he suffered. For our forgiveness, he sacrificed. For our forgiveness, he died on the cross. For our forgiveness, he did absolutely everything. Forgiveness was his act of love. Okay, everyone got that? Everything was rooted in that. If you look at Luke 24, verse 46 through 47, it says, he told them, this is what was writ is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Write this down. Repent and forgive. Or you could put forgive and repent. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. When you hear the word debt, we have the tendency to go straight to money, right? Which is totally cool. I get it, right? But the definition of debt, I'm going to break it down a little bit. It says, that which is due from one person and is bound or obliged to suffer. So that one, whatever that person is due or owed, he basically also is obliged to suffer until it's paid in full, right? So simple terms, a debt is that which you owe. Simple, right? The Bible defines debt as basically sin, trespass, a crime, that which remains liable to punishment. So you owe something, and for that owe, you deserve death. That's what sin is. It says the wages of sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Okay? Jesus took our wages of sin, and he took them to the grave, sacrificially, and he gave back forgiveness in place of it. Does that make sense? Okay? So... He took our sin, he took away our debt, died, our sin died with him. When he rose back again, forgiveness was in place of that sin. So now we don't have the wages of that death. All right? So Jesus gave forgiveness. He wants forgiveness back. Usually whatever you loan to somebody, you want that back, right? Jesus gave forgiveness. He wants forgiveness back. He gave forgiveness to all. He wants forgiveness from all to all. What that means is he wants us to forgive just as he forgave everybody. He wants us to forgive everybody, right? His act of love was forgiveness. That is what we owe Jesus. Everyone follow me so far? All right, I'm just breaking it down in the very beginning. So forgiveness is our key to our relationship with God. The question is, how can we seek forgiveness for ourselves when we are holding unforgiveness towards others? How can we seek forgiveness to ourselves when we are holding unforgiveness to our, towards others? In Mark 11, 25 to 26, the Bible says, and when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. His act of love was forgiveness. What is your act of love supposed to be first and foremost? Forgiveness. 
I love it because it says it again. First of all, it says it more than twice, okay? But I'm going to read Matthew 6, 14 and 15, and it says the same thing. And this is right after the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says the same thing. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. The connection to God, the kingdom, the connection to Jesus, forgiveness is the key to our relationship with Christ. Period. That is his sacrificial act of love. Because of his forgiveness, we have salvation. We think because he died on the cross. Why did he die? Yes, it's love, but what was his act of love? Say it out loud. We got to get that. I guarantee you that I, we all have someone that we could forgive. If it's not someone, I guarantee you there's a situation that we have to forgive. You might not know what the situation is, but if I say a certain name, you know what I mean, right? You already know that that name's going to root something up in you, boy, and it's going to go back. If I say a situation that we might have done or might have had done to us, it takes you back to that time and you're seething, right? That's something left unforgiven. Right. But how can we forgive that? How do we, how do we go back to that? So whew, I'm going to get personal. This is hard for me on this person in part. My father was a con man. He was unfaithful. He was a rolling stone. Papa was a rule. Anyway, he was a rolling stone. I have about 14, 15... I do not know how many brothers and sisters I have. It's somewhere between 15 to 18, because until seven years ago, we were still finding them. Did I mention he was a minister? Everything in my life was revolved around not being like him. Matter of fact, I believe to this day, I didn't accept the call of being pastor in any way because I didn't want to be like him. I remember my first image. He was not around. I only have, I have very few memories, but this is my very first memory of my father. I must have been three or four. Yes, I wore glasses back then. And of course, I'm from three or four, I'm small. And I remember, and everything seems big to you when you're three or four, right? But I remember this man looking over this bench type thing. So I realized now I was in a courtroom. And I remember him going like this, looking at me, looking up at him, looking at me, looking up at him. And he said, are you trying to tell me that this is not your son? That was my first memory of my father of the rejection that I received. Wow. From that day, I walked in that rejection for the rest of my life so far. And I still look like him. <laughs> Thank goodness he's good looking. <laughs> like that, you like how I'm Okay, so anyway, all right. <laughs> you have to flip it and make it good, right? So, but here's the deal that I want you to get from that, right? From there, my vow was not to be anything like him. I went to a church service, I, I, moved to, I moved to Georgia. Like, first of all, if I wasn't gonna be anything like him, I was running away from God. If that was the image I had of what Christianity was, who wants it? Yeah. I didn't want no parts of it, okay? Things were going on in my life, things got crazy. Uh, I ended up moving to Georgia, my brother said, hey, you can live with me, here's the deal though, you gotta go to church once a week. That was his deal. So I was like, whatever, I could get used to it. I've been to church all my life, because I had to go, but I, I, could, I could play the fake the front game and just show up just to show up. We all been there, right? Okay, so I go there. 
And then when I happened to go, there was a message on forgiveness. And for some reason, in that message of forgiveness, my father came across my mind. I was like, what the heck does his name go across, his picture go across my face for? I was like, I don't even have anything to do with him. I have nothing to forgive him for. But here's the thing. He was really in my life because I was consumed by not being like him. Unforgiveness will consume you. Forgiveness is release. Things you don't release, you retain and hold on to. Things you retain and hold on to, you will become. I didn't know it, but in all my efforts of not trying to be like my father, I was turning just like him. I was a masterful liar, better than him ever. Boy, I could embezzle anything I could do. I, I, I was a manipulator. The way I treat women was horrible, horrible. And I'm not gonna lie, I don't think I'm that good looking, but boy, my words were slick. And boy, were they powerful. Do you understand? I was becoming what I hated. And I was like, wow. So in that process, later on, I was like, okay, well, I learned my father was dying. And after the service, I kept attending this church for a while. And, and then it was getting laid on my heart to like, dude, 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 hey, your father's dying. He has cancer, whatever. So the, usually I would just say, yeah, who cares? Actually, I did say that. I'm not going to lie. I said it to my sister. And they're like, Gerald, you need to just talk to him. I was like, whatever. So I called him. And I was getting my heart right, and I called him. And in the middle of the conversation, I said, hey, listen, Dad, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you for not being there. I forgive you. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Forgive me for what? He goes, I didn't do anything. And I was like, "Ah, none of that matters. I said, none of that matters. Now, it's hard when you're trying to forgive somebody and they want to spit back at you. But if you're really trying to forgive them, none of that matters. Right? So I said, hey, listen, you weren't the father that I thought you should have been and started naming things. I said, you weren't there. I said, nothing would have kept me away from my kids. So anything you say does not matter. You weren't there, but I forgive you. And that was the end of the conversation. I didn't have to say anything else with that. The thing about that call, since that call, I'm not saying it was instant. I'm not saying it was instant, but my prayer life changed. Things started opening up doors where I was like, oh my gosh, things became clear. I started walking in a different kind of authority where I'm like, when I prayed, I saw things happening. There was a release that happened because I released him and walked in God. Okay. That I had, I started receiving a full access, you know, to the power that was in God because I've had no longer prayer. My prayer was no longer hindered by my unforgiveness towards my father. You cannot walk in the forgiveness of Christ without forgiving others. Forgiving others is the forgiveness of Christ. Period. You could say you're walking in Christ all you want. If you're not forgiving others, you are not. That's what he came to do. Forgive us. This is not going to be the easy word today, all right? It was challenging to me reading this. It's challenging me understanding it. But here's what I learned about unforgiveness, right? Unforgiveness is kind of like having a boat, dropping the anchor, letting the anchor drag along the bottom of the ocean so the boat is slowing down. And then sometimes it catches things and it's pulling things along with you and it slows down. If it really catches really good, the, anchor, the boat's going to stop at some point, right? Unforgiveness is like taking poison and hoping that the person you're mad at dies. That's what unforgiveness is like. Turn to uh, Ephesians 4, 32. The verse says, 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I have learned to forgive basically everybody and everything. I do have a spot that still tries to rear its ugly head back at me. The hardest time for most Christians, to be honest with you, the hardest person as they start walking this walk out in Christ, the hardest person for them to forgive is usually themselves. My hardest part person to forgive was myself. Well, why is that? Well, because when I did, I'm going to call BC, right? Before Christ, right? I was horrible. But after I received Christ, that doesn't take away. I am a new creation, right? And I'm no longer held accountable for those things because Christ forgave me and I threw him over there. But it doesn't take away the fact that I did those things and they sometimes replay in my mind. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, how did I do that to that person? Why did I say that to that person? Why did I commit this and why did I do that? And then you start, Satan wants to just let you think that you're not walking in the forgiveness and grace of Christ by playing about who you were B.C. before Christ, but you are no longer that person. You have to realize that we got to claim it. we got to step in it. we got to own it that Christ forgave you. Yeah, that's good. So there's a path to forgiving others, and there's a path to forgiving yourself. But forgiveness was, once again, done by Christ for all. And to all, we are part of that all. Amen? So let's talk about how we kind of walk through the process of forgiving. I remember um, when I was doing things, and and this is, no, I'm going to, this could get touchy, but I, I have to say it. Some of the things that went through my life when we're talking about forgiving ourselves, it could be bar fights, it could be street fights, it could be what you said to somebody, it could be abortion, right? It could be uh, molestation, it could be touching someone inappropriately, it could be you being touched inappropriately, it could be so many different things and I fit in some of those areas, right? And it could be so many different things and you have these things held onto yourself. Remember how we said debt is like money, have you been in debt and a lot of money debt after a while, all you can think about is the money that you owe, and it feels like it's weighing you down, and your body feels heavy, and you can't think of nothing else but that, and it's just you start getting sick because all this stuff is tied to unforgiveness. When you don't, someone told me a great, oh, this was so good. This is a rough one, though. It says, when you don't forgive, you're putting yourself in a position higher than Christ. I battled that one for a minute, but I'm going to repeat that again. When you don't forgive, you're putting yourself in a position that is higher than Christ himself. He came, he forgave, and not only did he forgive, he finished with these these words. It is finished. So if you don't forgive yourself, it's not done. So who are you putting yourself higher than? We have to walk and that forgiveness. So let's talk about how we do that. What I did is this. I asked God. I literally sit there. And I say, hey, God, show me who I need to forgive. What do I need to forgive today? I asked God for wisdom. Do I need to forgive that person face to face? Do I need to write them an email? How do I need to go about walking and asking for forgiveness or extending forgiveness to them? All right. 
Then, this is the hard part, then I actually realize I have to name what I have to forgive for or what I need forgiveness for. Meaning when I talked to my father, I told him why, right? We talked about name it in an earlier part of the series last, last week. You have to articulate. Here's the thing with us as Christians. We like to say everything's sin. You know why we like to say everything's sin? Because it's nice and neat. But name, Father, forgive me for lying. Guess what? You're a liar. Father, forgive me for stealing. Guess what? You're a thief. Father, forgive me for cheating. Guess what? You're an adulterer. If you actually name the sin, that sin means a little something more to you than just saying sin. It stinks to say you're an adulterer, right? It's harder to say, Father, forgive me for lust. Guess what? You're immoral. Father, forgive me for disobedience. You're rebellious. Imagine those words being planted on you. Now, when you name those things, here's the thing about naming those things. I'm going to find this part because I skipped over, but I don't care. When you name your sin, you are turning away from the identity that comes with the sin, and you're reestablishing your identity that comes with your walk in Christ. Name your sin for what it is. That shows there's a, there's a disgust, there's a disdain not to want it anymore. But when you just say, Father, forgive me for my sin, what? Forgive me for being a liar, Lord God. Oh, God. Ugh. Forgive me for being an adulterer. Ugh. Forgive me for my fornication. Ah. Name your sin. These are all steps to be freed. I want the freedom. When you do those things, there's another part that, that asks me. Sometimes the person you might want to, now you have to use wisdom on it, right? You pray for the wisdom. Sometimes there's a person that may have been deceased. There might be something that's going on that you don't have a chance to actually articulate to that person, someone that hurts you really bad, right? So I think it was Joyce Meyer that had what you call the forgiveness chair. And she, put his cha she puts the chair there and she puts a piece of paper right here with the person's name on it, okay? And I will sit there and I address that chair. And, I, and then I will say, dad, mom, whoever it may be that, that you did, person, uncle, I forgive you for touching me. I forgive you because whatever it may be, I forgive, I forgive you for doing that abortion. I forgive you for, it. listen, sometimes you might have to put God in that chair, Jesus himself. I forgive you, God, for taking my child away with that miscarriage. I forgive you. There is something that is so powerful about releasing that, and it's hard. It's hard. It's not an easy act. You might be crying, you gotta, but you've got to articulate exactly. Go through those feelings. Walk through those things for yourself so you can get them out of you and you can walk in the freeness of what God intended for you to be in. Amen? In the process of forgiveness, obviously there's repenting. Repenting is simple, simply just saying, to turn away from what you did before. I like this definition. Someone said, uh, one of the books said, the act of leaving what God has prohibited, I'll repeat that because that got stuck in my mouth. The act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded. That's repentance. Leaving what God said you can't do and returning to what he said you can do. Repentance, however, does not mean perfection. When we, uh, we, still are, we still are of a sinful nature, right? I love the verse, and you guys can read this one on, but I'm going to summarize it in my own words. I kind of like doing that. In Romans 7, 13 through 25, I really do suggest you go back and look at it yourself. Romans 7, 13 through 25, it's that verse where Paul is saying, dude, man, 
What am I doing? All the things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. Man, I don't want to do them, but I'm doing them. And the things I want to do, I can't see to find the strength to do them. What is the problem with me? Can anyone relate to that, by the way? Yeah. Uh, Amen. And then he says, I find that when I do this process, it's not that, that I want to do it, but it's the sin that is within me wants to do it, and it's making me do it. You hear that sign, little, you guys, uh, some of you guys are too old, for, too young for Nipsey Russell and the, uh, the devil made me do it? Okay, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, see, some of you are old enough, thank you. <laughs> okay, but it's the sin that is within me that's making me do it. But then he ends it, this is the part that he ends it with, but thanks be to Jesus, right, through his grace, I can keep doing it. I, can, I have the strength to, to overcome this. Here's the thing. What he's saying is, we, we sometimes we get this twisted. Sometimes we think that, hey, I'm going to do this and then I'll repent tomorrow. That's intentional sin. He is struggling with a stronghold that has something on him. For me, it was pornography, right? Oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <gasps> And then you hate yourself. And then the guilt comes in your mind. And you're like, man, you ain't, you're not really saved. Look at what you just did. And then, it, and then you go back to having to forgive yourself. It's a cycle, a cycle, a cycle. And then you're thinking, oh, God won't forgive me again. Look how many times I fell backwards into it. That's what he's saying. Right? He has the will not to do it, but he's struggling and he's still doing it. But he's not doing it intentionally. Hey, I'm just going to do this and I'll repent to God and I'll be okay. All right? So he's talking about a heart condition that has to do with where we are and what we want to do. So not repenting fully. Now, let me skip that one. I'm going to say this. Though repentance should be verbalized, though we want to speak out what we're repenting of, true repentance is eternalized. Though repentance is verbalized, Father, forgive me for this specific thing. True repentance, though, is also internalized because your heart shows where you really want to be with that repentance. Your heart shows where you're really trying to turn away from. Your heart is what's telling you absolutely everything. Okay? Here are my secrets of what I did to try to stop certain things for myself. These are my secrets. Things work for me in certain areas. When it came to pornography or lost, lust or whatever it is, I said, I said a prayer. I said, Father, allow me to love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. Remember how we talked about thy kingdom come? We talked about kingdom prayers aligning here to reflect that here. That's the kingdom prayer. Lord, let me love the things that you love that is already established in this kingdom to hate the things that you hate so I can reflect it out here in this kingdom that I'm loving what you love. Let me realize, let me see the people, Lord God, how you see people. So if I'm looking at a young girl on a, on a show or whatever it may be, that is somebody else's daughter. That is someone else's mother. That is someone else's sister. I have a different view of who they are and how God sees them. Let me see them the way you see them. Let me love them the way you love them. It's going to grow. Lord God, give me a disdain for the things that you hate. Make no doubt about it. God, God says in the Bible there's things that he hates. These are kingdom prayers. These are what establishes the kingdom on the earth as it is already in heaven. Because now we're going to walk it out and reflect that out. In areas of forgiving people, like my father, here's the thing that I learned. <laughs> a lot of people think ignorance is a bad word. It's not. Ignorance means nothing more than lack of knowledge. I realized that in the process of forgiving my father, he just didn't know any better. Maybe he was trained up that way. 
Maybe he didn't dig in a little bit deeper into the scriptures, whatever it may be. At the end of the day, he did the best he could or all he know how, knew how to do. When people do things to you, sometimes they just don't know any better, right? And that really allows me some release and makes it a little bit easier for me to walk in the forgiveness of Christ. So these are my secrets that I try to do to help me walk in forgiveness. I don't know if they'll work for you, but I will say this at the end of the day, as I wrap up forgiveness section. Forgiveness always comes with grace. Forgiveness and grace are Siamese twins. You cannot walk in forgiveness without walking in grace. To forgive is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Forgiveness will open up your prayers. Forgiveness allows you to walk in the gifting of what God gave you. Without forgiveness, your prayers are hindered. Without forgiveness, you have a cap. He says, only to the measure in which you forgive will you be forgiven. Make a list. Go home tonight. Say some names. Pray to God. Show me, Lord God, who I need to forgive what I need to forgive, what things am I holding on to me that I have done that I need forgiveness for, what things are holding on to me, Lord God, that, that I know that I've already been forgiven. Father, allow me to accept your love and give your love of forgiveness. Amen? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Write this down. Guidance and protection. Guidance and protection. I did not understand this verse forever. Why would my God lead me into temptation? Anyone else? Okay, just me. That's cool. But I didn't understand it. God's not supposed to lead me into temptation. Here's the deal. You can write this if you want. God tests Satan tempts. God tests Satan tempts. I'll give you an example. Garden Eden. Hey, here's a tree right there. Don't touch that tree right there. You got everything else, but just don't touch that tree. Okay? Here's Satan. Look how good that tree looks. Look at that fruit. It's so ripe for the eating. Go ahead. Take a bite. God tests Satan tempts. Why does God test? Here it is. We talked about this last week when we were talking about the manna raining down from heaven. He says, I will rain bread, manna, likes that you have never seen before down from heaven so that you may gather it up and, 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 and collect it enough for one day so that I may, he says, test you to see if you are, here's the word, obedient. Most people listened. Some people gathered more than they should have because they're greedy, whatever it may be, right? And that which they gathered that was more of, spoiled. But God will test you. Satan will tempt you. Deliver us not into temptation. Here's the difference between the two. If you can't tell, this is what happens, because it still goes back to this. God will test. Satan will tempt. Your heart will decide. I'll repeat that. God will test. Satan will tempt. Your heart will decide. When you start getting into that word more, you start understanding the word of Christ, your heart's going to either lean this way let me obey that because I know he has my, my best purposes and intentions in my mind and his mind for me. Or it will lean this way. I just want this. This is what I deserve. 
everyone else is doing it, right? Your heart would decide whether it's a test or a temptation. I think about Abraham. Abraham was jacked up. I don't know how many times he got tested, okay? He got tested there was, when he first got told to go to these different lands. Twice did he go to a place, two different places, and he lied to whoever was running that land to say that Sarah was his sister. Why did he do that? Well, because here's the deal. Sarah was a, a, a hot-looking mama, right? And what, what happened is they would have killed him to take Sarah as his wife. So he didn't trust that God was going to protect him in those situations. So instead, he said, Sarah's my sister. From him saying that Sarah's his sister, from that lie, that means he was a what? Good, we're getting there. Crap happened. Then everything happened to that household and all this other stuff started going down. It was absolutely crazy because he lied and didn't trust in God. He did that twice. Second, third time, I'll say, or one of the ones I remember. Jesus said, you will have a whole lineage after me, after you. Don't worry about it. I got it. He goes, cool. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Sorry. But guess what he did anyway? He went with his maidservant and said, hey, baby, come here. My wife's too getting too old. Let's just do this so I can have a lineage. He didn't listen to it. Right. From that, those lineages been at war to this very day. To this very day. But then there's the last test. This test I love. After all these tests that he failed, he finally says he gets his promise of Isaac. And God says, hey, bro, go take Isaac up and give him back to me and sacrifice him. And he starts to do it. He goes up. He goes up to sacrifice Isaac. And before he does, God says, stop. He goes, listen to these words. Now I know that you're totally dependent upon me. God will always test you. Now I know that you're totally dependent upon me. The funny thing is when we, as I get ready to wrap this up, because I know I'm running low, when we depend on God, right, if we're walking upright with God, Satan doesn't really have access to you. The story's in Job, right? Satan went up to see, to, to, up there with God, and they're talking to him, and he says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, well, I have, but I can't touch him because he's upright in all his ways. He had to get permission to, to, to have access and tempt and mess with him, right? We have to get it. This sin, this whole tempting and testing, God is our provision. He's our protection, and we're good with all this. Lastly, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. Last word, write this down, submission. Simply put, after all my prayers, after all my requests, no matter what, Jesus, you are still in control if I don't get any of them answered. You still control this. You still control this. Even though this happened to me, you are still in control. All the glory, all the honor, all the power still belongs to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king told them to bow down. They didn't bow down. And they said, well, we're going to throw you in a fiery furnace. He goes, that's okay. My Jesus, my God will save me. But even if he doesn't, two statements that will always change your life. Now I know, and even if. Now I know you are a son of the living God and you love me and you're going to obey me. And even if my God doesn't do it, it doesn't matter. Now I know, and even if.
So recapping the whole series. The Lord's Prayer. When we say and speak is number one. So he said to them, when you pray, say. When you speak, we create. Say your prayers. Don't just think them. Say and speak is number one. Number two, our Father in heaven. Address and name. What is your relationship with Christ? You grow intimate with people the more you spend time with people. Is he your friend? Is he your family? Or is he an acquaintance? Get him out of that box and make sure you put him as family. Who is your daddy? Number three, hallowed be thy name. How holy is he? Praise and honor. Praise lift, God's, lift God up. If you have a little God, you have big problems. If you have a big God, you have little problems. Praise and prayer puts God into its proper place and your problems into perspective. Number four, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Align your prayers with what is already up there and then you reflect it here on this earth. You, your prayers should be already speaking whatever is already established or abolished in heaven. Nothing else matters. Number five, give us this day our daily bread. Know the manual. Use and eat his words. Pray only his words. The verse says, don't be like those uh, people that just want to say a whole bunch of vain words that don't matter. He only wants to his, his words back to him. Father, you said, you said, you said, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's the kingdom coming down on this earth. And we talked about forgive. Submission and protection. My last words for you today. No Christian achieves more than their prayer life allows. No Christian will ever achieve more than their prayer life allows. You want to know how strong of a Christian you are? Look at your prayer life. Read that word. Pray effectively. Grow in Christ. Today, especially if you have a guest, something that helped me out a great deal was this book, Prayers That Developed Much. In this book, it has prayers for literally everything. Prayers for buying a new home, prayers for kids going to their first day of school, whatever it may be. But it actually just gives a whole bunch of scriptures that you're praying and they hook them up together to sound like a perfect prayer. And then it has the references at the bottom so that you can find out where those scriptures are. This helped me formulate my prayers according to the word of God. So uh, we have a couple of books out there. If you're a guest, you definitely have one for free. If you're a visitor, I mean, if you're not a visitor, We'll figure out what to do, but pray that it felt as much as good for you guys, all right? Father God, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord God, that you align our hearts with yours. In the name of Jesus right now, Lord God, we release ourselves to your forgiveness for whatever it is that we are holding on to that keeps us locked up, imprisoned, that we're retaining, that is transforming us away from you into that thing, we release it right now in the name of Jesus. It no longer has a hold on us. That person no longer has a hold on us. We walk in your love and your grace. Give us day by day our daily bread.
so we may be established in your kingdom. We claim victory in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen.